0: Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, This is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Turn ourselves towards you. Might you help us to hear your voice. Sense your presence. Um, Help us to know intuitively, not just uh, through information. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that your spirit illuminates and directs us. Amen. In the beginning was... I'm going to make an edit to the Bible. In the beginning was relationship. When we think about our image of God, we can't think about God in isolation. God has never existed in isolation. Sometimes when we think about ourselves, we want to think about us in isolation, but we can't do that either. I know we're tempted to do that at times, but that's not the place that we were created for. We were created for communion with God and with others. And we've been talking about this the last few weeks, a relational spirituality, the core of our confession, that... Everything we believe and teach here at Axiom comes back to this relational dynamic that moves beyond cognitive reasoning and into, a ver- into encounter with others and with God. We need both realms of knowledge to experience the fullness of who God is as his image bearers. There's no other way. There's no other way to look at God except in relationship. And that's why when we get to Jesus, he's pointing to the Spirit. And that's why when you get to the Spirit, he's pointing to the Father. And that's why when you get to the Father, he's pointing to Christ. Because they won't have it one without the other. Because of that, the Trinity becomes one of the greatest images that we have, not only for understanding the nature of God, but understanding how relationship works itself. That as we look, if we think about who who here has witnessed a, a struggling relationship before? How many of you have experienced difficulty communicating with others? How many of you can't it's just it's obvious it's the other person's problem. See, what what we're lacking in that is a appropriate image of relationship. And we think that Relationships with certain things or certain someones is going to help us experience the fulfillment of that. But what I'm wanting to propose together as followers of Christ that the relationship that he models and gives to us is the one that Jesus had with the Father and with the Spirit. That relationship sets the tone for the rest of it. And so the Trinity is the greatest image we have for understanding not just God but, but relationship itself. And, and, and we should never we should never replace that image for a different one. And we we do it all the time. I know we do. I do. But, But that's the one. And that's also the accessible one. All throughout Scripture, we see this portrayed in different ways. But what I want to submit to you is that sometimes when we look at the relationship that God has with himself, we have to understand something, that the picture that's given to us isn't always complete. Now, it becomes complete in Jesus, and it's proposed in the Old Testament, uh, but in part. And so, I'll give you an example. Genesis 18, verse 1 through 8. You can turn there uh, with your physical Bible if you brought one, or one from around the room, but you can also read it on the screen. And this is what it says. Come over here to read it. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, well, however you say that, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, let's just leave that up there for a minute. Here in Genesis 18, we're we're giving a, a picture of the Trinity, a picture of the three that come to meet with Abraham, to visit him. But what we see in this picture is incomplete. It's not fulfilled. There's still mystery hovering around the three. There's still some separation going on between the three. And we have to think about this because if we were to think about our own relationships and the relationships that we have with, it, with one another, not just our relationship with God, we might say that we too even now only understand relationship in part from what the picture will be in full. And so I say all that to point this out. Notice the very last line. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Why didn't he join them and eat with them? Why did he stand back and observe the relationship from afar? What kept him from entering to the table? And we can be quick to judge and quick to critique here, but this is the early imagination of humanity at play. It's incomplete, but it's the early one. That when we think about our best, we think about not sitting and eating with them, but going and getting the best calf, making the food, prepping the table, and, and it's beautiful even. It's honoring that Abraham and Sarah and their servants would want to prepare a meal and serve them. But they still miss out on the meal itself. This last week, I had a busy week. I had f- five parties. Five parties this last week. It was a lot. I'm tired. And what I, one of the things that I observed at these parties, at every one of them, is consistent at them all, was that some people were able to enter into the party and enjoy the fullness of it. Others had to sit in the background. Some were running around looking for things to do and cleaning fixtures and, you know, setting things and checking on things. And, 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 and there's a reason why we do that. And I'm not knocking any one of those people. I think it's good. I was one of the people sitting in the background. I was one of the people running around. But you see, this is a reflection of our relational capacity. Our ability to enter into dynamic intimate relationships with others. And we know our level of resistance. We know spaces that we can do that. We know the spaces that we can't. But the journey that we have with God is one of growing deeper into communion with Him and others, not one of growing further out, not one of figuring out the one kind of space that's just right for me. Real spiritual formation is a process of developing relational intimacy with God and others that's spiritual formation so last week we said we can only reflect the image of God relationship as far as we have a relationship with God so what we were saying was you can't reflect the image of God just because you know about God or just because you're human You can only actually reflect the image of God as far as you enter into relationship with him because it's the place of relationship that you are transformed into his image to the same degree. So also, we can only have a relationship with God to the degree that we can have relationship with others. Our relational capacity, your ability to enter into deep union with others, is your relational capacity. And it's the same here as it is over here. Now, you might be saying, well, I, me and God hang out all the time, and I don't hang out with anybody else. And I would say, you can't know God outside of knowing others. You can't. There's no way for that. It's not a model given to us for that. To help us with this, Rublev, a 15th century uh, I. I, I iconographer, uh, gave us this picture. I want, it's going to come up on the screen. It's a, a painting, an image. There it is. How many of you have seen this image before? A handful of you around the room? Very good. So you'll know where I'm going. This is the icon that was given in reflection of Genesis 18, verses 1 through 8, which is what I just read to you. Okay? But it's also the icon that's become to be known as the Trinity. And you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. Father's wearing gold, the Son's wearing blue, the Holy Spirit's wearing green. It looks a little yellow from here, but it's actually green in the painting. Now, I want to ask the room, when you look at this image in understanding of the text we just read, and you think about this picture of relationship in God, what do you see? What are some things you see here that speak to you? And you can just shout it out or be silent, either one. Both looking at the father thank you it's intentional okay does one does one of these people seem more important than the other or do they seem to have s- a mutuality at play. Mutual. Are they sharing three separate plates or one plate? One. Together. There's this submission to one another that's at the table for them. There's a Equality that's at play here for them. And yeah, there's also distinction, though, right? I mean, God the Father in gold, and that's representative of His perfection and power. The sun in blue, right? The, the, the oceans reflect the skies, it's dust and spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in green, fertility, activating new life. Like, all these images are embedded here. But you also have the cup, one cup, that they share together, the meal. Now, in this image, one thing that we don't know just by looking at it, but there's a fourth person, and that's you. There's an open space for another person here to come, join them at the table, to share what they share, to have what they have. Um, Historians that have studied this art, and actually it's in Moscow, you can go visit it. There's a glue residue on that front square. You see that little tiny square between the legs of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And they think, they don't know for sure, but they think that that piece of glue held a mirror. And so when you would look at this, you would not only see them, but you would see you. Sitting there with them. The Trinity is a picture of relationship, and we were created for relationship with God in fullness. In the Latin, we have this word companion, which is really two words, cum, which means together, and panis, which means bread. Bread and together give us the word companion. This is, again, the imagery of the kind of relationships and, and uh, order that God has for us. The table and the meal. Now, just think about the table for a second for yourself. For this Helpful or not, think about it. What if the way we treated people at the table was the way we treated people when we drove our cars? What if the fellowship that we have at the table was the way we met new people we'd never met before? What if, like, when you're at the table, you, sh- you pass the plates. You, you don't eat all the food first for yourself. You make sure that there's enough for everyone. You... Keep your manners, and you be respectful, and and you don't use certain words, and you're considerate. You wait for the last person to sit down before starting. There's solidarity. Think about it. All the practices and manners at the table point to a way in which we can be with others in the world. The table can be a daily liturgy for you and your family to practice how to live on mission in relationship with others. But it's more than that. I I fell in love with my wife at a table. I held her hand for the first time at a table. Some of the best talks I've ever had were around a table. The best dramas ever played out were around a table. There's something sacred and meaningful about the table. There's a bar in Glendale. It's called Easy Tiger Bar. You should all check it out. And when you walk in, it says, welcome, stranger. And when you leave, it says, goodbye, friend. There's something about the table that Jesus uses to invite us into his picture for humanity which should reflect his picture of himself. And this is where Jesus gets wild and crazy. Because when you think about the gods coming, you don't think about them coming for a meal. You think about them coming for something else. Okay, so if I were to say this sentence, how would you finish it? The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. Anyone? Fill in whatever you want. What do you think it is? What do you think? To show us the way. That's not bad. The Son of Man came. Not for the righteous, but for the sinners. The Son of Man came. I don't know what you said, but that. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Now, we're going to look at that, but but I want us to think about this for a second. That when we think about the way in which God is going to come, what did we think of? When, When the Jewish community was thinking about how God was going to come, they thought, he's going to come on clouds of judgment. He's going to come with angels and warriors. He's going to come to restore his kingdom and to wipe away the enslavers. He's going to come and give us justice. That's the image they had. That's the incomplete image they had. But then Jesus shows up, and we see three statements of the Son of Man came. Mark 10, 45 is the first one. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many luke 19:10 for the son of man came to seek and save the lost and luke 7:34 the son of man came eating and drinking and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard a friend highlight that of tax collectors and sinners they didn't like the way he came That's not how God's supposed to come. He's supposed to come to defeat God's enemies. Not save the lost, throw them out, burn them up. He's not coming to serve, he's going to come to be served. That's not what it says. He's not coming to give his life for us. We'll give our life for him. And certainly, he's not coming for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. See, the image of God that we had was incomplete. And Jesus redefines it. And in these first two, we see the purpose, right? Serve and save. But in the last one, we see how he came. The way he came was the table and the meal. Now, if we're thinking of the instruction of the icon, which icons are not art. They're they're liturgy. They're they're, uh, books in painted form. They're supposed to teach you something. How is it that you come? When Sean comes, dot, dot, dot. When Sylvia comes, dot, dot, dot. When Ben comes, dot, dot, dot. How do you come towards others? What's it look like? What is your relational capacity? Are you able to be with others? Or are you only able to do for others? Do you look like a glutton and a drunk? No amens? All right. <laughs> Jesus had relational capacity to be with others. And I love that if you put that last verse back up again. Uh, a friend, a friend of tax collectors, the one word value picture that we have, the aim of our heart as followers of Jesus with God and with others is that word right there. When we can enter into friendship with someone, that's why we love our enemies, to make them our friends. Our goal with God is not to remain as master and slave, but eventually friends. And he tells us that at one point. He says, hey, like, I, w- I want to call you friend. And how we come to others, it's not like, yeah, I know at the workplace, well, you're my boss, but you know what? When your boss is your friend, now we're talking. When your employees become your friends, now we're talking about kingdom relationships in the workplace. When your spouse becomes your friend again, now we're talking. Now they better be more than a friend. But friend is important. This is troubling for some of us, I know. Why can't I just love God? People suck. (laughs) So do I. It's part of what we share. Companion, bread, together, is our suckiness. And if, as we engage In perfection in others, we begin to see it in ourselves. That's why God gives us relationships. We are mirrors to one another. As we share in the meal, we see that we share more than food. See, relational capacity includes not only the number of relationships we have, but more importantly, the quality of those relationships. Relational capacity includes not only the number of relationships we have, but more importantly, the quality of those relationships. This matters for us as followers of Jesus. And you see, the objection is never with the meal, right? Nobody's mad about the meal. We're mad about the guest list. We're mad about who's going to be there. Hey, I'd love to come, but who else did you invite? Well, I'm not telling you. People suck. And the Pharisees had a problem with this. That's why they called him out on him being friends. They weren't calling him out because he was eating food. They were calling him out because they were friends. Culture teaches us to value things over relationships, it teaches us to value possessions, achievements, independence, power, control, pleasure. Ryan Gosling in the Roman Empire. But it doesn't teach us to value relationships really well, and that's the thing. It's and it's a muscle we need to learn to develop through intention, guidance, and practice and mealtime. I think there's another statement going to come up here. Ah, my community exists for me to develop my relational capacity, my ability to hold healthy relationship with God and others. This is why God gives us community to develop our relational capacity. Again, we don't like you can't pick community. That's that's called a click. You pick, like, like, the community is who God places in your way. That's the invitation for friendship and union. Otherwise, you're just getting affinity or something like that. And then the last one says, without community, the space for us to be refined and reformed, we will be unprepared for the relationship that God desires for us and invites us to have with him. You know what? I need you. And you need me, baby. And Jesus wouldn't have it any other way. He wants us to love one another. But we need a lot of help with that, don't we? So let's pray. Jesus, help us as we think about what it looks like to fall in love with those that you've placed in our path. What it looks like to share meals together, not for food's sake, but for love's sake. help us, God, as our desire is to be increasingly more like you. Help remove from us the hurdles, the judgment, the frustration, the fear of vulnerability, the whatever it is, God, that's keeping our relational capacity from being anything short of intimacy with you and others. Yeah, amen. We're going to take communion. Uh, As we do take communion, I invite you to come down the center aisle. And then find two or three folks to share a meal with. And whoever you would find, that would be okay. But share the meal. Give thanks to God together.